welcome to Seawolf Pod, the Major League Rugby podcast for Seattle Seawolves fans, presented by SeawolfPod.com. I'm your host, Raymond Torkelson. Let's talk some Seawolves rugby. This episode of Seawolf Pod was recorded Saturday, May 5th, 2018. As such, some things may have changed since then. For the latest updates, visit SeawolfPod.com, where you can keep up on Seawolves rugby news through Seawolf Pod social media and the Seawolf Pod blog. If you're a super fan, you can also sign up to join the first ever Seawolves supporters group by entering your email on the website. Also, to save time editing, just know I don't censor this podcast, so please be aware it may contain explicit content. What's up, WolfPod? I have a new mic. I'm stoked to be here doing Sea Wolf Pod. I've got a great guest today. Um, I think you're going to love this episode. It's bye week this weekend. Nothing going on with the Sea Wolves, really. So we're reviewing the Glendale game. Me and my buddy with uh, Life Love, Life Love Rugby Blog. Uh, he does great content at his website, llrugby.blogspot.com. You should check it out. Um, let's get into our usual business. Then we'll get into a little juice and jabber, do some on the pitch, off the pitch, and then sign off. Thanks, WolfPod. So at any rate, I have some important information to tell you about me and this podcast. This is the Seattle Seawolves Rugby Podcast. I am Raymond T. I'm simply a... Uh, Big fan, super fan that loves talking all things Seawolves rugby. This is my weekly show, and as a super fan, um, I am not affiliated with the Seattle Seawolves program in any way. Also, I say WolfPod a lot uh, and on social media, which just means Seawolves fans. So WolfPod, there's a couple things I ask you to do. One, get plugged into SeawolfPod social media at SeawolfPod on at least Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, if for whatever reason you only want to follow one, I suggest Instagram where I plan to stay pretty active posting Seawolf's content. Two, you can also go to the website SeawolfPod.com. It's probably your best way to find out info about SeawolfPod, including other social media profiles. Um, if you want to find the latest episode of the pod, I've got SoundCloud embedded there, um, and you'll see the other platforms where you can listen. You can get updates on the Seawolves. I'll probably have some blogs up um, or just links to updates, and you can contact me about the podcast, too. Um, you can also just email or call me if you want to do that, which is uh, on the website. Um, personally, I think it'd be pretty cool if you at least bookmark the page, maybe make it a homepage. Um, but anyways, I, I digress. So only other thing I ask, uh, if you like Seawolf pod, please, please, please look up, um, Seawolf pod on Apple podcasts and give it a five star rating or review. Uh, obviously this helps my podcast gain popularity, but, um, maybe here's why you might care. First off, I will take a video of myself reading a review and post it on Instagram. Yeah. Um, five-star reviews bump Seawolf Pod up in the rankings, which make a potential fan more likely to find the podcast. Uh, more fans, more better is what I think. Um, but really doing little things like supporting this podcast will help grow the fan base of the Seawolves and ultimately strengthen the program. Uh, thanks so much if you do, and I look forward to reading them on Instagram. Oh, yeah, and you can say whatever you want. I will read it. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, it does help. I'm definitely not making money right now doing this and can use all the free support you can offer with your precious time, which I sincerely respect. 
All right, WolfPod, it's time for Juice and Jabber, inspired by beer and banter at America Rugby Pod. Thanks, Warren and Preston, for the great idea. So small news items, rumors, uh, happenings of the minute, small type, whatever. I'm not sure what that means, but you get the deal. Juice, gossip, jabber, just chat. Um, I got three things today for Juice and Jabber. So uh, first is somebody asked me on Instagram, uh, one of my best followers on Instagram. Um, I don't know if my followers want me to name drop them on the podcast, so I'm just going to keep that um, private. So um, they asked about rumors as to additional teams coming into the league next season besides New York and Texas. So um, before I jump into teams I've heard about that might join, um, I do know New York is intending to join. I don't know who is intending to join in Texas. I've heard that Dallas has made pretty they've they've made expressions that are being taken pretty seriously about joining the league. Uh, maybe they are going to join the league and they've made that clear. I, I just don't know. Um, I would say a, a great source to reach out to on that would be, um, Earful of Dirt, one of their um, co-hosts, I don't know what to call each member, one of their members um, is a league correspondent like for Major League Rugby, so uh, should have an answer on that. Um, in my experience, sometimes there are rumors that people inside the teams and leagues know that just they can't speak to. Um like went through that trying to find out what's going on with the Seawolves head coach. And there was never any kind of explanation presented to me and reaching out to anybody at all, except for Phil Mack as our head coach, which has been working just fine. Um, all right. So yeah, that's what I have to say about like, is Texas joining? Um, New York is joining as rugby United, New York, So the three teams I've heard about, it's going to be Vancouver and Ontario in Canada, and then um, Boston over in the Northeast in New England. So um, again, it's it's really just rumors at this point, and I'm super thankful you asked the question because I think it would be worth diving into. Um, Let me know if anybody, you know, DM me or email me, admin at seawolfpod.com, if you'd like some more in-depth coverage on on those rumors, um, because I would, you know, I'd invest my time in looking into that and seeing kind of what that means for Seawolves Rugby uh, if I get enough people reaching out saying that's interesting. So just please let me know. You want to DM me, go to Instagram at seawolfpod, go to Twitter at seawolfpod. Um, I think the, the DMs are open for that. So um, so yeah, first thing, like I said, was, uh, that question for Juice and Jabber. The other two things before this pretty long but exciting podcast, um, got respect the kicker and fan etiquette, which is sort of the same thing. So there's just been a huge debate ever since that first, that first kick. Like if you go on to YouTube and look at the replay of San Diego Legion, um, and Seattle Seawolves, uh, at Starfire, 
you can go just watch until like the first place kick by um, San Diego by Ben Sima, um, their fly half. And as the crowd starts to cheer, which I don't think the crowd was told to do necessarily, or maybe maybe it was on the board, like on the screen. I wasn't looking because it was the opposite direction from where I was sitting to look at both the screen and the kicker at the same time. I couldn't, but. Um, there, if you if you listen on the YouTube video, you hear this this person just like, no, no, don't do that. Be quiet. And I mean, I found it really funny just like how upset they sounded because there was nothing that they could do about what was happening. Um, but it is unfortunate if you believe in the rugby tradition of being quiet during um, place kicks. I mean... Seawolves fans are quiet for their own kickers making a place kick after a penalty or try. Um, Not quiet at all. Extremely loud, in fact, which I believe the team endorses just through likes on social media during during kicking. We're very loud, our fans. Um, And I think there's a bit of a brand to that. There's a bit of a culture aspect to that. Um, I, I think people are trying to frame the conversation in terms of rugby values. And on the one hand, there's respect. You want to respect the kicker. Now, you should not equate that with being silent necessarily. You should be asking, do we want to respect the kicker by being silent? Is that what it means to respect the kicker? But, I mean, cheering on the kicker just means you think the kicker is a threat, you respect that he's a threat, and you're trying to stop that, just like every single player on the field is when they go and tackle him with the ball. Um, and they all respect him, even though they're going to tackle him. So the the other value in rugby that comes into play here is passion. It's a game of passion, and if the fans want to express their passion as respectfully cheering um, at the kicker, like not, you don't want to be belligerent, um, although that happens at games. Um, yeah, so anyways, that's that's respect the kicker. I mean, I lost my train of thought there, obviously, but just like that's, that's just something that's been a hot topic here. Um, and then the last thing is water breaks. It, whether you're there and you know it's happening or not or you're watching on TV or online, then you're probably more aware because they say what it is and you can hear the ref or the sir mic'd up. Water breaks happen... They basically split a game that's just divided into halves with a 10-minute break. They split it into quarters at each 20-minute mark within each half. So at the 20-minute mark and at the 60-minute mark, um, there's just like a break like for water, which is not reflective of international rugby at all. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just a reality that that doesn't happen like in any other rugby that I think anybody's ever heard of or watched. I could be wrong. It's a pretty bold statement to make, but um, you're just not going to find that. Um, Like, sure, you could talk about, oh, you'll find people cheering at the kicker or you'll find people being silent for the kicker elsewhere, but you're not going to find water breaks. Um, And that could affect the development of our players Um, It could affect the way that fans consume the game and then they just want the MLR brand where they get a break every 20 minutes rather than what world rugby is considered to be. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's there's probably a lot to say on all these things, but we have such a 
we have so much content to move through here on this podcast, which I'm sure some of you are pretty excited about. And some of you, I don't know, you know, long podcasts are long, but I think this one's pretty good. Um, here's what I have to say in terms of, um, breaking down the content on today's episode into on the pitch stuff and off the pitch stuff, which is typically how I divvy it up. Um, I was going to jump into more fan etiquette, um, commentary for off the pitch, but the most important thing is what's happening on the pitch, which is why I always try and put it first before off the pitch. And I've already gone into some off the pitch stuff with juice and jabber. Um, so what we're going to do, what I'm going to do is go ahead and just, uh, jump into the, the call that I recorded, um, yesterday evening. It's the wee hours of the morning now, um, with, uh, with Nick Sarabia in Corvallis, Oregon, uh, the founder of Life Love Rugby Blog, which you'll find out all about uh, in our recording. So uh, thanks for tuning in, WolfPod. Um, would love to interact with you on social media. Just uh, check us out. Check me out at SeaWolfPod um, or just check the, the podcast out. Just check me out. It's weird. Um, and yeah, hope you enjoy the pod today. Hey, Nick, we're on, man. How you doing? Doing great. I'm doing fantastic and excited to get this show on the road. Yeah, I'm pumped, man. It's uh, So for all our listeners, it's, uh, what's, God, is it uh, the 4th? No, it's the 5th. It's May 5th. Yeah. It's, it's uh, not super late. It's about 9.30 on the West Coast right now. I've got uh, Nick, uh, Life, Life, Love, Love Life, Rugby, LL Rugby. Um, yeah blog founder here with me and uh i had the the privilege of meeting nick uh recently at a social after one of my prestigious d4 rugby games <laughs> mm-hmm. um hey, hey r- rugby's rugby man you know that's however way you can get it there's no shame in it whatever level you're on Exactly. Um, I totally agree. And, um, you know, he's got his own his own background with rugby and an interest in NorCal rugby and and brings a good perspective to um, the game here on the West Coast. I'm really grateful to have him on Seawolf Pod. And um, I did a a Q&A that uh, I'll have either posted by now or will be posted soon with Nick, so you can get to know him a little better. But, Nick, is there any kind of, you know, one-liner, intro, whatever you want to tell my listeners? Um, gosh, one-liner? How about, Um, like, a ten-liner? Whatever. (laughs) Ten-liners, well, I mean, you're, you're right, though. I... Uh, I guess just a quick brief history of my playing, coaching, like where I'm at, and you know, hopefully people don't think, oh, this is some guy who fell into the sport a couple of years ago, but he's, he has no inside track. He has no idea what he's talking about. Um, you know, I, I got started like many players now, late uh, in high schools when I fell into rugby, and I felt bad because all four years in high school, all of the guys around me in the offseason from football were like, hey, you got to come out and play this sport. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to play rugby. Like, <laughs> so that's just a knockoff of football. And sure enough, my senior year, I said, you know, I'll give it a try. And, man, I mean, my high school coach was like, hey, did you start 
playing football? Like, were you starting? I was like, yeah, start on the bench, start at the kickoff <laughs> team. Why? He's like, because you're really good. Like, I was just curious what position you play. I was like, uh, kickoff, punt return. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the third, the third string plays, the third string guys, you got thrown in just for that stuff. And uh, so I played in high school one year and then went off and uh, played for Science State. Um, and I was at junior college, so I couldn't play on the A squad, you know, I would have been ineligible on some of the teams, so I played on the D side, which was just as much fun, I mean, to stand there and watch the first team go, and then to step back and and still get that play and see them stand on the sideline and give you support, and from there, I I went back and helped out my high school club for one more year before they ended up folding up a year or two after that, and took a couple years off, and coached uh, with Los Gatos High School Rugby. Okay. Um, and we have players from all over there. You know, we're, even though it was labeled Los Gatos, it wasn't necessarily um, players from the high school. It was just a location, a name location, really. And we had guys from all over the area. And then from there, uh, as my first child was born, as the kids were coming, my coaching duties slowly started fading and became yeah. more like a player personnel guy. And um, Busy family man. I had a... Yeah. I had enough yeah. of a time trying to get you on the phone tonight. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I'm just giving phone, you crap. I had to make sure the kids were okay. I said, okay, kids, dad's going to go step in his office, which is the garage. <laughs> and so anyways, just kind of fast forward. You know, as I step away from the game, I still want to be a big part of this. And that's why I developed Lifelog Rugby. You know, I yeah. um, when we spoke in person, one of the things we, I think we agreed upon was just creating content yeah and at the time there really wasn't much I think, uh this is american rugby was just getting going yeah yeah rugby today or what was rugby mag was really your primary source right aside from usdrugby.com to get inside track to get knowledge on players yeah clubs and whatnot and that's where this came from and that's where we are now and uh unfortunately my current job takes a lot of my time away but i do try to get content out there as much as i can yeah um, you know, even though maybe sporadic, but again, I think provide just being able to provide something out there is what is important. Yeah, but, I mean, I know it's more than ten lines, but yeah, that's that's where we're at, and that's where that's where I come from. No, that's awesome. That's better than I could have done with your introduction, and I think it goes without saying that you know you bring a lot of experience and yeah. uh, and wisdom to the table about rugby, and it's it's a really great addition for Seawolf Pod, and I think it's great that you highlight where we're both highly interested in doing what we can in our free time to provide meaningful content for rugby fans because there's just not a lot of it. Um, you mentioned yeah. uh, This Is American Rugby, um, and I believe Curtis from This Is American Rugby lives in Seattle, which is kind of cool. He's been at the yes. Seawolves games. I haven't connected with him yet, but I definitely should. I was, you know, I was going to bring it up. Like, hey, I, I, I heard the Tony one, and it was amazing to get Tony on there. It was really cool to get Tony on there, yeah. So I was thinking, like, hey, when are you gonna get Curtis, man? He's he's up there too. Yeah, man, and I met Tony not at the uh, the season opener. I was just kind of in and out when I was there with my parents. But the second game when I came through with my friends, um, I got there early and I met Tony in person. And like, he is the Eagles blindside flanker you would imagine he would have been when he was younger. I mean, he's a big guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've seen the photos he's been posting. I mean, just. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine like having him just chasing me down, like, you know, getting the ball out of the scrum or something. But anyways, um, so, you know, just in terms of the timing of when I'm getting you on my podcast, I was thinking, talking about, we met, I mentioned this to you um, before I got you on, which is talking about the, uh, the, the Glendale game um, just last sure. weekend, which would have been 
round two for the Seawolves. So um, I've had a chance to sort of, I don't want to say thoroughly investigate like what went on in the game and, and look into you know, every little unturned rock to try and come up with like an explanation for how we didn't win. But I mean, it really, it was a, we were beat by a better team. So just for listeners, just context. So uh, major league rugby is a 10 week season. The home opener, Seattle Seawolves played San Diego Legion. There was kind of some talk that we probably weren't going to win we ended up crushing them in the forwards. The score was something like 39 to 26. So then the next weekend, which is round two, just this last weekend, we played the Glendale Raptors, who are sort of the MLR title favorite. I was thinking with all the momentum we had from that San Diego game that we were going to be having a really good chance at winning against Glendale. But, you know, I still acknowledge Glendale really is the favorite to win it all. So um, just not to, you know, bury the lead. We lost the game. Uh but it, it ended up being close at the end. So it was Glendale 19, um, Seattle 15. And at the half, that, that lead that Glendale had was a lot larger. It was 11 to 3. We had only been able to get a penalty off, which is kind of crazy. But Nick, just, just jump in a little bit for me so I can kind of get some context. How much of the game have you watched? Where do you feel like you had an eye on something and what was going on out there on the pitch? This was another home game at, at Starfire. I was there. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, I saw, I saw your little post on Instagram, man, and I'm, I'm going to say I'm jealous. Uh, uh, unfortunately, this being the first year of MLR, and I get with my work being a little busy as it is, I'm sure. going to miss all. I'm going to miss all the home games. But my plan is to at least make it a point to to make it to at least one home game for sure every year, and if I could make it to two. Yeah, well, I've got I've definitely got a ticket for you if you want to go to any of the remaining two home games. So know yeah, that. I, I, yeah, I got to look at my calendar and see what see what days we fall on. But I mean, it's it's like an eight hour drive for us to get up there. Yeah. Hopefully, I can convince the wife to you know <laughs> turn it into a mini vacation. Hey, we'll, yeah. we'll watch a game, but I'll treat you up to a nice dinner. We'll go we'll go yeah. to the top of the Space Needle. Yeah, a whole um, Seattle weekend basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, going kind of going back and forth between the first game and then this last game. Um, I thought that I thought that San Diego game was absolutely amazing, and yeah. I'll, I'll admit, as much of a fan of, of Seattle as I was, as I am, I was a little skeptical. I was like, you know, you know, they yeah. haven't really had much preseason. No coach, so, like. <laughs> yeah, they're announcing players kind of late. San Diego, I mean, they're heavy loaded with the USA guys, the Eagle guys. Yeah, you know, they're down there in San Diego where it's just. They got that uh, Olympic Training Center. Exact like, oh. test on the on the uh, coaching staff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Question marks. Here. A lot of questions. To be honest, let's be honest. A lot of question marks surrounding the team. Yeah, there um, were a lot of question marks. Hats off there. to them. Hats off to everyone. I right. Mean, they put together an amazing squad and, and a game that I think a lot of people outside of the Seawolves, outside of Seattle, thought the Legion were going to run away with. And totally. Seattle from the get go, that that forward pack. I mean, just. Absolutely obliterated them. Yeah. Um, and, and it was Very a dominant showing. exciting to watch. Yeah, absolutely. You know? All those penalty <laughs> tries, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it just caught a lot of people off, off guard. Um, and then fast forward in this past Glendale game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did watch it all. <laughs> Most of the time, I had my four-month-old in my hands, <laughs> eating and sleeping, and the other two running around. But I did watch the Multitasking. Game, I tried making notes here and there where I can. Okay. Um. You know, again, and like you said, hats off to Glendale. I mean, the, you know, they are the, they right now, they are the cream of the crop. Yeah, they're the team to respect. This weekend, this weekend, actually. 
and you know what was said about them. I, I can't remember who said it: Earful Dirt or uh, Red White Black Eye guys. Yeah. Um, which shout out to both of them. I listen to all three, all three of your guys' pods every week. I look forward to them. Me um, as well. Yeah. Glenn, Glendale. I mean, they, they've been a professional organization from day one, from from before MLR. So exactly. They're they're um, <clears throat> their team that they have now is not really much a surprise. Yeah. I think a lot of people knew that they were probably the top team coming in once MLR was announced and they were going to be participating because, I mean, they're Division One, D2, and other sure. programs have just been professional. Yeah, um, so don't they have, like, three squads just for um, – gosh, what's the name of the, the club? Were they also the Raptors just as a club? Or was the uh, Merlins? Yes, they were Raptors, and they were just rena- – so they renamed the rest of the organization to – Oh gosh, Gr- Glendale Griffins, Glendale the Merlins, oh, or Merlins. there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, just MLR. a huge club, right? Very professional from the get go, yeah. and no surprise that they're coming out as one of the strongest clubs in MLR for sure. Yes, and the you know, and, and hats off to them. They were not. You can tell from the beginning they they were not intimidated by the crowd. Not at all. Um, yeah. They were not intimidated. They held. Their, I mean, their pack held their own against Seattle, and yep. it was a. To be honest, it was a. I thought the first 30 minutes of the game was an absolute 50-50, you know, match back and forth, just right. back and forth. Yep. I mean, there was... Um, not a lot was happening. No, not a lot was happening. And both teams, I think, were kind of... I think Seattle went into this thinking, okay, hey, we surprised everyone. Our pack's amazing. Glendale went in going, okay, we know what to expect. You know, we're a professional organization. And they kind of surprised each other, I think, to my, in my opinion, watching the game on television. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there was uh, – uh, obviously, my point of view for a lot of things is more garnered towards Seawolves because that's – I mean, heck, that's what the spot is, right? Sure. Seawolves. Yeah. And that's the closest team to me, and that's who I, I support. Right. Um, but I will try to – I will try to give Glendale where credit is due. Sure. Um, you know, they did not make as many perilous mistakes as Seattle. I feel like the Seawolves, just basic mistakes they made. Um, there was parts – and this is part of the coaching aspect for me – that I I've learned when I was coaching and then also you know playing sports too was there's I'm watching the team and it's not necessarily watching where the ball's going I was paying atten- I was also paying attention how the players what they're doing around. off the ball right yeah what they what they're doing are they hustling are they still walking okay they got some tackle so many times I'm watching the Seawolves and you know the guy makes a tackle the ruck goes up ruck goes on the ball gets passed out and shoved out and they're getting up walking. Yeah, time. just kind of waltzing up to the line. Heck, that, that's where Glendale was beating them. Is they yeah. were quick to the breakdowns, quick getting out of the breakdowns. Yeah, they were moving. They're moving the ball fast. Uh, I think the rain definitely played a factor in the in second the half for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, second. I mean, you see, you see the players. You know, every lineup wiping that ball as hard as they can, yeah. get as much water off of that. Which I was surprised because I, I honestly thought the Sea Wolves would have been a little more accustomed to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, being in the Pacific Northwest. With those balls in the rain. Yeah, so I showed up to this game in full rain gear, and it's not raining, and I'm in the supporters section, which is uncovered, and I just look like a nerd, and then and then it starts to rain during the second half, which is just something to note in terms of the game and where weather affected it, and then my friend brings me into the covered area when I have all this rain gear still, and then I didn't need it, which is really funny, but you know, the rain in, in terms of the game, I think definitely was affecting what was going on in the second half. I think that it made an attacking style of rugby very hard to play. I feel yes. like this game, it was like Glendale, the best offense in MLR, versus Seattle, maybe 
maybe the best defense in MLR, but you're right. There was a bit of loafing going on around the breakdown, uh, defense, whatever. I mean, it just wasn't it wasn't quite coming together for them with the same momentum and vigor and passion that we saw during that opening weekend. And, and it's a good point. It's like you'd think that they'd be thriving in Pacific Northwest rugby conditions and know what to do. And it just looked like maybe they didn't have the right game plan. I mean, there was a ton of kicking going on from both Holder and Mac, uh, our 10 and our yes. 9, that just went straight into um, their fullback, D'Ochaval. D- D- I can't say his name. Uh, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg just have it down on commentating. But um, – <laughs> I'm sure they've had lots of practice with these players' names sitting there the night before just going over and over. I actually – I DM'd Dan Power and asked him if he wanted to golf sometime because it's in his bio that he's like a terrible golfer, which was really funny. But I actually got to meet Dan Power after the game, which was really cool. I was like by the bathrooms and just saw him and as a joke was like, see ya, Dan. And he came up and introduced himself. Super nice guy. Um, So – yeah, I mean, this game, like you said, what would you say, first 20, 30 minutes, it was pretty even? Yes. Yeah, definitely. And and I just, you know, where did that change? Like, what happened after 20 minutes where the game, it wasn't the same game anymore? I think that this is a really subtle thing that I caught that a lot of people miss because on the lineup that Seattle announced on their website, it didn't reflect a change that actually happened on the field. And that's the four and five locks in our opening um, in our opening weekend game against Legion were switched. So previously it was Lenertz at four and Crumray at five. And in this game we had Crumray at four and Lenertz at five. And that five is key in the scrum because the tight head prop in front of them is really the, the pivot of the scrum. It's the place where the most pressure is applied and you need really the strongest legs and bodies in there pushing. And so with yeah. Lenertz behind Metcher, we had the same tight head, you know, um, just this last weekend as the, as the one before. It, it was a different number five lock, right side lock behind him pushing. And I think that had somewhat of an effect. But, you know, there's two things that you want to do when it's raining. Um, I think kicking the ball for territory, you want to make it a territory game. And then there's going to be a lot of knock on. So it's going to favor a team with a good scrum. So you'd think, gosh, th- this game should have been ours because – we have that scrum, but I think kicking is where it started to really come apart for us. I mean, we were just giving it to their to their back three. It was like it it, it I, I don't know. It just didn't quite look right to me with what was going on with the kicking. And I I in particular, I mean, as much as I like Holder and his background, he seems like a great guy. I just haven't seen it yet from him. I haven't seen that brilliance at the fly half position that's going to really bring our team forward to success. Like. That first weekend against San Diego Legion, it was our forwards that were carrying us. There was one oh, yes. really nice set piece, like backline play, with Holder giving it to Staller and do a gap for a try. But that was pretty much the only thing that the backs came up with that game. And then this last game, like we just didn't see it. I mean, there just wasn't a lot going on from our backs, and it was frankly hard. It was hard for me to watch what was happening at the ten position, which I tend to focus on anyways. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a great 10. I can barely play D1 rugby as a 10, but just in my experience in college and D4 club rugby, I just haven't seen it from Holder yet, and I'm kind of wondering who else is there for us. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's where I think the, the conversation of, of how MLR wants every club to develop their own academy system and have it in place is, is for 
reasons like this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's equivalent to, you know, the minor league system of baseball. You got a guy who's a position where you're not as deep in or the few guys that are there are struggling. Okay, well, now you can go into your back pocket and go down the line and start pulling people up. And hopefully that's – and and things may change. I mean, this is still beginning of the season. It's still first year of the league. A lot of teams, I think, and a lot of players are still feeling themselves out. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, th- things may change come week well, – this is week three, so week four, five, and so on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Seattle still has a chance. I mean, after – the other thing, too, is, is as as sloppy as this game is, or was, I should say, I mean, it, there's – luckily, there's a, there, they had this bye week, so they had time to kind of review lots of takes, spend plenty of time working on basic mechanics. Yeah. And I agree, I agree with you. I, I felt the kicking was absolutely sloppy. Yeah. Uh, it, it was sporadic. You had balls just kind of – I mean, even though they're going in the same area or direction of the field, they kind of just – I mean, they were all over the place. They yeah. weren't necessarily. It felt like it felt like they weren't very. You, there wasn't an aim to it. It was just like, okay, kick the ball out, or kick right. the ball out deep, and that's it. And and have everyone chase. Right. Well, you know, you got to find an area. You got to find a specific target that you're aiming for, <laughs> and you're you're at least going at. You got to at least get it over the back three, right? You got to pick a spot yeah, behind them. Yeah, exactly. And, and then on top of that, like you're, you're saying, our our back three just at the same time. The few times that they were getting the ball. You're watching, and they almost look confused. They yeah. didn't know what each other was doing. Yeah. They didn't know who was going to get the ball, who was going where, and you had a lot of guys just kind of running out back there. Grab, okay, well, good, you got the ball, but they didn't know what to do. You know, you could kind of see that hesitation in the first couple steps of, of okay, do I take it back or do, do I just take it and go? Right. And again, I mean, that goes to the whole. Well, you know, I'll give them this. It's still, it was only game two. Yeah. It was game two, and you know, I think in the back of their minds, they also knew. And I don't know. I mean, I, I can only test as a player when you know you're coming up against an opponent who is well known, yeah. who has, you know, they're a, a, a proven it, club, who, proven team. Yeah, proven record. It, it does play a factor in your mindset of how you how you anticipate that player reacting to your movement yeah. versus okay. Uh, we're coming up against a team who's just like us. You know, they're, they're their first game together. They have no idea. Okay, there's there's at least some room to make a mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, and then also to touch on what you said about the, about the forward pack, I mean, that's kind of a given. You, you don't really necessarily miss uh, mess around with the type five. Right. And that's why I was. I, I My my playing days, I was, I was a five. And I actually went back between four and five. Yeah. But I was a five for the most part. And that was your solid group. Yeah, you don't you don't mess with them, and and you know it's equivalent to any sports, equivalent to uh, football. You know, there's that connection between the quarterback and the center. Right. And whenever I, whenever that that center gets replaced, he gets injured, a new guy comes in. Well, that's why everyone gets nervous because sure. you know that quarterback is still used to making snaps with that starting center to bring a second guy in, even though it's the same mechanics. Right. Even though the guy knows the same cadence, it's the little nuances that they don't have built up with each other. And so, yeah, I agree that switching that part for making those few changes, which I'm sure were granted, were, were needed, also, you know, probably did pay a factor in, in some of the stuff that was right. going down. I mean, but again, you, you can't you can't blame uh, everything in Seattle. I mean, Glendale, I mean, when it was a good team. <laughs> they, they came, yeah, they came and prepared. They yeah. did. They came and prepared. They were ready to go. And I think the fact that um, 
they knew they were coming into a hostile environment uh, also probably played a, a factor and fuel, fueled them a little bit. I mean, come on, as a player, you, as intimidating as it was to walk into the opponent's uh, home venue and, and see this big crowd and you know, whatever sport it is, you also, for the most part, kind of feed off of that. Like, hey, you know what? That's fine. It just means we're going to work just as hard to shut you up. You know? Right, exactly. It's motivating. And, yeah, I mean, there was, a, there was a lot of things, like you said, that, um, for the most part, uh, Seattle could improve on. They should approve. They should approve on. And I look forward to this coming this coming week. Uh, see what happens. See yeah. How they how they improve so much. Well, Phil Mack must have a pretty busy job, both having to look after what like thirty guys and how they're going to improve, and also make sure that he's got a piece of that on the field. I mean, that's oh yeah, that's a lot of work to do as a player coach. Now, one thing I wanted to touch on with the back three before I kind of commented there on the scrums with what you were saying is a key to victory that uh, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg talked about for Glendale in this game was exploiting the wing rotation. So what they meant by that is that our wings on defense and our back three with Seattle, they tend to cheat up during defense. So they're, they're playing a lot closer to the defensive line, ready to make tackles there than really staying back in their areas to field kicks. They're going to be, you know, poked out into space to try and get territory. And I think you saw that a lot today where Crowder um, and Staller were our, our wings having to do a lot of work just to catch up with those kicks when they were yes. to catch up with those kicks when they were just caught, you know, basically on the line when they could have been back there defending. Um, another thing is a forward on the other team who was a hooker for the Eagles. It's um, Zach Finolio. Um, so Fawcett filled in at hooker and he went to, um, on Glendale, he went to blindside flanker and he had basically like the try of the game. So they were probably about 15 meters out from our try line and uh, Finolio just pokes a grubber, right? You don't see that a lot from a flanker. Pokes this grubber behind us. Crowder's already up in defense and Turner, our fullback, who in theory should have swung back to Crowder's position was almost also cheating up really to no effect and ended up getting caught on his heels and just wasn't able to dive onto that ball because his yeah. momentum was all basically towards the defensive line drifting towards touch. And so I think that while I, I would probably try to defend the argument that we have some of the best defense in that's been seen in Major League Rugby so far, I think what we're doing right now with our back three, you know, they're all – they're all great athletes, right? So Turner, Crowder, Staller. I mean, I, I kind of feel like Staller has been one of our best players so far doing all that kicking for us and scoring in the first game. But I think there's just something about their mindset out there with the back three where I, I, I just would love to talk like to Phil Mack and ask, what's the deal, right? Like what happened in that game? Do you guys want to yeah. change anything here? Is this just sort of an accepted consequence and we didn't? sees other opportunities that we wanted as a result of playing that way. But so that's, that's kind of my thoughts on the back three in terms of the scrum. So, you know, when I was doing this game, I had like a, basically a Google spreadsheet open and was tracking stats, which I'd I'd love to dive into in a second. But um, on our scrums today, or excuse me, last weekend against Glendale, uh, which I happened to be kind of recording today into my stat sheet, um, we had, so we had 11 out of 12 scrums 
which sounds really great, right? But yes. you can still – I think most people would agree that we just still were not dominant in the scrum in the same way that we were against San Diego Legion. And again, I go back to our tight five change just ever so slightly. We had the same prop. Um, the commentators tried to say, well – It'd be different if we were on grass today when it's wet because the opposition under pressure in the scrum would get pushed back and slip and slide in the grass, whereas on the turf they don't. But then you ask, well, dry turf and wet turf then is the same. So it shouldn't have been any different because our Legion game, where we were more dominant, was still on turf, right? Um, yes. And 11 out of 12 scrums, again, that's that's phenomenal. That's like almost 100%. The one scrum we didn't win, I think, was right when the Seawolves made some, some additional like substitutions. They made some substitutions into the tight five. They put in Shepard at hooker, and they put in Hayden at tighthead. And we still had Khalifi at loosehead. We still had Crumray at four. We still had Linares at five. We lost that one scrum. Glendale was pumped. I mean, they got they basically stole it from us on that scrum. It was our scrum. Yeah. I mean, it just was like, what happened? And you know, that may only be one scrum we lost in 12, but I think that we weren't that far off from that happening in our other scrums. Sometimes we were getting a good nudge. Sometimes it just wasn't going anywhere. And that's, that just was kind of concerning to me because it's like we had to rely on that to win against San Diego Legion. Our, our backs yes. weren't really going to make the game happen for us then. So there's there's a lot that has to come together for this Seattle squad to you know, get to say a championship here at the end of the year. But I do feel like we saw the top two teams play between Glendale and Seattle last weekend. So um, were there any other quick thoughts on that? Or do you want me to go through these stats? Um, you, uh, yeah, I made some notes down. Like I said, when I was hit, uh, watching the game, feeding the baby, <laughs> I was trying to sure. man, I can't with one, with one hand going on. Well, why don't how about this? I'll uh, I'll give you my stats, and then you jump in on your notes after that with in light of those stats, and then I'll kind of go through my notes as you're giving me yours. So here's here's what I had for stats. So obviously the end of the game, just starting with the score, it was 19-15, Glendale won. At the half, it was 11-3, Glendale. Um, so I broke down my stats into kickoff, set pieces, scoring, offense, defense, and discipline. Um, Seattle's kickoffs, uh, it was Holder doing the kicks. Five of our six kickoffs throughout the entire game were left deep. One at the end of the game was left short. I don't know if that was like a desperate attempt to score. Um, with Glendale, they um, they only did three kickoffs, two of which we didn't catch, which means that whatever they were doing was a lot more effective than our six kickoffs that didn't quite convert the same. So um, set pieces for Seattle, we had 11 out of 12 scrums, five out of eight lineouts. That's That maybe could get a little better there on lineouts. Um, we had Shepard throwing um, later in the game rather than Barkwell, um, our Canadian all-star. Uh, Glendale had 10 out of 10 scrums. They were 100% on scrums, and they were 4 out of 6 on lineouts, which is comparable. Um, in terms of scoring, so uh, Seattle saw Staller kick over one penalty. Um, there was a try by Talatao. 
gosh, I hear these names and I, I have them perfect. And then I try and say them and I don't. Um, yeah, I've, I've had that a lot. You hear them in your head, you repeat it. You're like, oh, that's not hard to <laughs> say. And then you, you go up to say it and you're like, oh, oh, oh What's going on? Yeah. You can't understand why everyone's struggling now. So that's Vili, Vili uh, number seven. And he, he had a try that Staller then converted. And then uh, George Barton, who got on late in the game from the reserves, um, he had a try at the end, and then uh, on the Glendale side for scoring, McGee had three penalties. Finolio had that crazy try, which wasn't converted, and then Harley-Davidson, their right wing, had a try, which wasn't converted. Um, just in terms of Seattle's offense and defense, we had four visits to their 22-meter on offense and only one line break, which I didn't even know if I could qualify it as a line break because it was Talatoao. Um, basically just picking the ball up out of the ruck and breaking out. Um, on defense, we had two 22-meter stops, um, so stopping the team from scoring, getting them out of our 22-meter. We had three steals, and then we had one try-saving tackle by, I believe, Turner, who's been pretty great, other than that one thing I mentioned on Finolio, where it's like, where was he? Um, and then discipline, these were some... Pretty high numbers um, for both sides. Five penalties for Seattle, eight knock-ons, and then a uh, more astronomical 12 penalties committed by Glendale with one yellow and the same amount of knock-ons, eight. So um, I'd love to chew on some of your notes, just having now some context with those stats there. Um, yeah. Hit me. Hit me, Nick. Let's go. Life, well, yeah, love, yeah, rugby. Sure. Well, I mean... I think the first thing to start with, though, um, and, it, and it really didn't play too much in, a factor into this game. I think there's only like one instance where I saw I, I wish MLR would have this. It's is a TMO. I mean, they need the TMO. Yeah. Even if it's not something that is so obvious, at least it gives us fans peace of mind, and, and it gives the officials a chance to really correct and make sure they did not miss anything. Yeah. But I think the TMO probably would have, made a little bit of a difference in this game and yeah. at least just having it there i mean it's kind of strange as, as a rugby fan to watch the, so, Viva, the, the pro 12 i can't Super remember rugby. i don't want to interrupt but just something i heard unless you already know sort of like requirements for tmo there's like some camera requirements um yeah yeah i heard something about that too like there needs to be so many cameras and then also the other reason why is because there needs to be a uh an, an official a tmo official okay to be and I think um, I forgot who brought it up or where I read it at, but someone brought up the fact that the league probably doesn't have a team of this this year because of financial reasons. Yeah, they're trying to you know hold back, and I think it's something. I mean, it has to be something that the league does eventually yeah. go into, you know, whether in year two or year three. But I mean, I, I can't see this league. Um, Getting to year five and ten and still not have a team out. I mean, it's just, that's just weird. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I agree with the Turner that, that going back a little bit. That first try by Glendale. I mean, that that could have easily and should have been prevented. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Turner. I mean, he just basically overran it. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I was watching it. And I'm going, okay, where's the coverage? Where's the D? And you see Turner come running, running in, and just completely overrun it. Yeah. And just slide like a slip and slide, just slides right past it, and it's like. Yeah. That's an easy pick. I mean, if you're if you're sitting back there, if you're, if you're the back three or or <clears throat> sit back on D and you see that, I mean, at least get a hand on it or I mean, knock it on or attempt it, attempt to grab it. And you know, if it causes a penalty, well, heck, at least you prevented a try from happening and you give you give your team a chance to set up for on D and and get some cover, you know, get in position to 
prevent Glendale from coming in. It could have could have resulted in just another another kick, which would have made the big difference in the game. You know, I think that try was also the turning point from Glendale and was a, was a difference maker in this game. That one particular try that could have and should have been prevented. Um, you know, uh, going back to, oh gosh, what was one of the stats you read? I had wrote it, I was reading, I was jotting it down as fast as you were reading them. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. I can go back. Was was it on a specific category or? No, I think maybe as I go down, I'll probably come, come up to it again. Sure. Um, and that was that was basically the first half. The second half was uh, again, and this continued on for the better part of the second half too. Was just needing to be quick at the breakdown. Yeah, and they just seemed gassed. I mean, by the I think it was like the 50th, 55, 55 minute, maybe maybe close to sixty minute. I was, remember just looking at the looking up the clock, watching the team going. You know, you just came out of a break, and you guys were. Still walking. You're still, <laughs> you look and you watching Glendale. I mean, they're hustling. They're breaking. Yeah. They're running to get a position on the hop. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think for the, like you said, the Seattle really. You can see them really leaning on that forward pack. Yeah, I think they were in that back line was just struggling, and that's something that I think Glen. I I, I see that Glendale uh, exposed quite a bit. Uh, I mean, just by chances though, on simple mistakes on Glendale's side. That that score wasn't as high. I mean, they had a couple breaks where it was like, "Oh man, here we go, one guy to beat," and it was a bad pass, or they knocked it on, or slipping, you know, again slipping, sliding out there. But at the same time, even though I've been critical here because I want to, you know, be aware of what what could change, what can improve when we're going to lose, it's like there's something I could say about each player in our back line that's pretty special, right? Like, I mean, first of all, I think like Crowder has a chance to be like an MVP in in the league, we just have to turn it on in the back line. Mac has been doing an amazing job as both a scrum half and a coach. Um, yeah, oh, you know, and I give Mac a full credit. I don't mean to cut you off there. Just, no, you're fine. That's hard. I mean, that's hard yeah. to, to still be essentially one of the guys, but yet have to be that guy that needs to put people in place. Right. And, and to know that, hey, you know, even though I just got done, you know, scolding you, by the way, I need you to get my back while we're out there. I need you to be in position or I need you to trust me that I'll be there for you. And you know what? That, that's hard to do. And I think for right. the most part so far, he's, he's done a great job. I mean, he really has. And whether that means next year he's still a player yeah, uh, or, or he moves into the head coaching position and takes that full time or, or, or just becomes one of the coaching staff members, I think this year is um, – so far, he's done a great job. And I think it's a great learning curve for him, and, and yeah. I actually I hope he sticks with Seattle. I mean, I Me don't too. know how this offseason plays out. I know I know we're getting a little way far ahead of ourselves, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know how this I don't know how this offseason plays out. Whether players are all released or whether XML guys are be able to be retained by each club. Yeah, I'm not sure. Other guys released, but I really hope Phil Max sticks with Seattle. I think he can definitely do some damage with them. Yeah, and with along with a couple other guys, you know. Uh, um, Josh Graham Blake right now. I was just looking at his picture right now. I have the, have the roster up on my my tablet as I'm talking to you. Uh, Suniola, I think yeah. he's he's definitely. Um, I mean, he's for for me as a fan of of the Eagles and whatnot. He's kind of he's one of those guys that just kind of faded away over the last couple of years. You know, yeah. you heard a little splish and splashes about him. Yeah, but I think for the most part, he's done a fairly good job. I mean, he's, he's definitely revived his career and shown that he's still got the gas in the tank. You know, don't count him out. Totally. And, um, to, uh, to, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher his name out too. To, uh, to, 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 to,
Yes. I'm like, and I was, when you when you were talking about, I was looking at my head, mumbling, like, okay, that's easy to say. <laughs> um, you know, he's been a surprise player, and I really like him, and I think he's um, he's he's shown great strides in the last two games. I mean, he had that big line break, like you were saying. Oh yeah. Uh, and God, I mean, I was watching, going, oh, he's gonna go, he's gonna go. Oh, okay, yeah, stop. Dude, he is such a running. nuisance at oh, every oh, breakdown. Yeah. I mean, I love seeing his aggression on the field, man, and. Oh, yeah. um, I can't remember if it was Earful of Dirt or which guys were joking about it, but they were saying like his afro is an advantage. It's like a helmet that like cushions him from all the <laughs> physical contact he finds himself in. So oh, yeah. I definitely hope Phil Max stays too. I'm kind of wondering though, because I'm thinking a lot about like, what is our 10 position going to be? Is it going to be Holder and the 10 is a key leader on the field? I'm wondering sort of what does leadership look like on the Seattle pitch during a game? Because First, we had Reichert Hateng at eight-man as our captain against San Diego Legion. I think he got concussed. He's been out now. Now it's Suniula who we're talking about at inside center who's captaining us. But then Mac is our player coach who really is leading the team. And then Holder at 10 hasn't, so to speak, been holding that leadership position on the field. So, I mean, have you noticed anything with that? Kind of like when something needs to happen, where are they turning their heads to? Who's got the answers? You know, you know what? I, that's a good question because I want to know too. Yeah. And that's what I was, um, again, looking at the, the, the body language of the player, the, yeah. you know, how, what's each other and with the official is I'm going, okay, so who's the captain? All right, who's doing all the talking? Because the, how I was told when I, when I was growing up in the game or learning the game was, hey, only one guy talks to, talks to the official, that is the captain. Right. You have a problem. Speak to him, let him go talk to the official, and by the way, if you're the captain, it is your job to take charge of your team, make sure they're in line, and if there's a problem, you know what, uh, uh, you know, um, at halftime or before the game or after the game, that's when you need to go speak to the official, go talk right. to them, let them know what's going on. And I was watching, I'm going, okay, so I see a couple guys around and then run their mouths, jar off to each other yeah. I'm not saying you know they're dropping out bombs they show sure. you know communication player talk yeah 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 and I'm going okay so so who's the leader right who, what's going on you got three different guys who are technically in charge right who's really running the show many, yeah three too many roosters in the hen house uh, who, yeah who, someone's gotta and that's why that's what I mean where you know I give credit to Phil Max at least he, he's doing a phenomenal job so far and well it's hard not that. to that's when he's getting where. interviewed at halftime and before and after games you know like he's really framed as the guy that's running the show right now for the Seawolves yeah so yeah. I had some notes about what he said at halftime I don't know if they had him on after the game but what he said at halftime when we were down 3-11 is he said decision-making has been pretty much the biggest focus for us where we want to improve. We have to play in the right areas. We're forcing it in our own half. He said he knew it yeah. was going to be a tough game. Defense is a huge factor. He said we're not completely displeased, but we think we can improve. Um, I, then, I have to absolutely 100% agree with that. I mean, that pretty much goes with a lot of things I wrote down. Yeah. Um, they're, I mean, they're like like we're talking about with the back three when they get the ball, you can see hesitation. I mean, they gotta be you gotta be confident. Yeah. If it's a mistake you're gonna make, make the mistake. Don't make the mistake, and then just kind of freeze up or or throw the ball away. You know, be confident in your mistake. You know. Right. Own it. Go and for it. Yeah. Go 100. <laughs> percent So uh, what I my notes for post game. Um, 
It was that the conditions just certainly were not favoring the backs being able to have a great show in the game in the second half. Um, again, Zach Finoglio, um, or Finoglio, I just sound like I'm saying Pinocchio when I say that. Um, the hooker, or six for the other side, who then got in at hooker at the end of the game. Um, he was interviewed as man of the match. It was kind of a short interview, but he just said, um, you know, Seattle is an amazing team. It was a hard fought effort by both teams. Um, but you know, really where I was looking at this game from my perspective was our defense was mostly on our offense just wasn't on and the rain certainly made attacking rugby harder. Um, our defense couldn't have gotten a lot better except for that, uh, Finoglio try where I think we could have stopped that. I'm, I'm not really sure why our wings are up. Uh, you know, jockeying defense is very common. You can play uh-huh. defense on three guys with just two people. Um, my D4 squad here in Oregon does it. There's no need for the wings to play up. It's just playing soft versus hard defense. Um, I, I, that's something I want to see maybe develop or, you know, hear something clear from the team like in a, in a press conference where they say, this is our strategy. We know that there are certain, you know, vulnerabilities that it opens us up to, but here's how it benefits us. So anyways, yeah. Nick, we've, we've been chatting about Seattle Glendale and a bit of San Diego too now for gosh, almost 40, 45 minutes. I, I've loved the chat. There's, there's probably not a ton more to say about it. Just a lot more Seawolves rugby to still happen this year. Um, yeah. I mean, I- uh, there, there is. Like we said, like I said at the beginning, and it's still, it's still early season. There's only two games into the season for the Sea Wolves. Yeah. There's still a lot to build on. I mean, there's still a lot more play- opportunities for for more player signings for guys who who may get injured. Uh, other guys from the Saracens, who I'm sure is the de facto feeder team that the Sea Wolves could pull from, and yeah. along with the other surrounding um, clubs in the area and up in the Pacific Northwest or here in the Pacific Northwest. Since, since we're both here, you know, um, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, we can go on and on. Uh, you know, I, if you don't mind, I, I kind of just wanted to talk. It's about the game, but also segue so far what, what I've seen from the MLR. Sure. And I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Things, yeah. Uh, you know, this water break issue. Oh, yeah. I, I get it. I understand. But I'm kind of iffy on it. Uh, the reason why is because is the, the, the benefit about having MLR is you get these potential Eagle players, just a consistent flow of high-level impact games, yeah. which is great. Because one of the things that we've struggled with is just conditioning. And, yeah. player, and you know, we got guys and a lot, of, a lot of national teams that said, hey, man, the Eagles hang tough. They hang tough. But where the Eagles fall apart is those last 20 minutes. Those yeah. last which is exactly minutes. where we're cutting up MLR right now in both halves. Yeah. Yeah, and then with the water break is okay. You're training the guys; they're they're conditioning them to high level impact games. But you're also conditioning them to hey, twenty minutes break, twenty yeah. minutes break, another twenty minutes break. 20, yeah. And so when you go play international, and if you go against you know who, who we got in the World Cup this year, uh, well we got England, Argentina, and I forgot who the other Japan. No, for the other one, who the other team was. Uh, I haven't uh, but, been tracking that as closely. I've just been. My head's been just up in Seattle lately. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the point is, 
is when you go against clubs like that, or sorry, not clubs, I shouldn't say that, national teams like that, yeah. those guys aren't used to that. Those guys are used to going 40 straight minutes, okay, no three, break, 40 yeah. straight minutes plus manage time, where the Eagles now are going to go, hey, 20 minutes, we're great. Oh, wait, we fall apart. Oh, okay, we're coming back. Oh, wait, we fall apart. Oh, we're coming. And yeah. so that's where I'm kind of iffy water breaks. I mean, I don't, I get why, and I understand the reasoning was, hey, you know, they need to make time for sponsorship money. This is where the league's getting their funding from. But, but it's know, like that, that doesn't have to happen in all these other leagues in the world. No, I mean baseball. I shouldn't say baseball, hockey. <laughs> you know, for the most part, that's a continuous flow sport. Uh, MLS. They've never even thought about doing that, and that's sure. why I don't get why the league. And it could be financial reasons, and I get that. But something maybe again year two and year three they can kind of go away with was on field signage. You know, commentators going, hey, you know, this conversion kick is brought to you by Subway. Right. You know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, hey, we have a break. In the, we have a break in the game because the player's down. Hey, you know, this is good time Yeah, then they come about. in. Right. It's you sort know, of improvised. theaters or whatever it's called. Yeah, totally. And I think yeah. that would be a good way to go about it. And, and when I say other leagues in the world, I just literally mean other rugby competitions in the world don't have the same issue where they have to chop up the halves basically in the quarters with these water breaks. Um, mm-hmm. I've, you know, whenever, cause I get really critical. I just try and think, okay, now where, where's the upside of this? So sure. Sponsorship could be one thing, but really the goal of major league rugby is to create a great product for the United States to engage fans of rugby and grow the sport. So when I think about the water breaks, I think about what's that doing for the product that the game is creating. And yeah. I think there's kind of two ways it can go. It's kind of like the fans basically mentally are going to fall asleep during the water break and think, you know, what the hell is happening and never really have an explanation for what that is because they don't see it when they watch Super Rugby on ESPN+. Or it's going to give them a nice reset where they said, okay, I've, I've just got 20 minutes blasted, overstimulated, all this new stuff and sport that I've never seen before and they kind of recharge they chat with their friends and then they're back at it and they're watching another 20 minutes so from the fans perspective I think the jury isn't out about what the water break's going to do but there's it it doesn't like scream like American tradition to have this water break in rugby you know what I mean like there's just not a clear reason why it was even introduced yeah and I, yeah and I get that and then that's actually that's going to be my question to you was cuz you you've attended two games now I mean how is the atmosphere there in the, in those water breaks too I mean are they shooting t-shirts into the crowd are they getting people you know up and around <laughs> dancing cuz you're talking about and I and, and yeah I agree there is a plus side yeah you know as a as a parent to a couple kids you know that that break comes okay great who needs to go to a restroom okay bathroom break right. popcorn <laughs> versus like okay hold on honey just just hold on to, you know we got five more minutes yeah two more minutes. Hold, okay hey break time okay let's go we'll come right back you know, um, in a couple minutes i mean how how is it how, how at least the seawall games how is the atmosphere how is it there i mean the atmosphere is amazing at starfire like i can't say anything bad about it um but i can say that the the water breaks are not like a memorable phase of the game like we weren't introducing any kind of like on-field shenanigans or antics or shows or performances maybe they did some kind of announcement i might just be blanking because i had a couple beers but really i don't think anything was going on during the water breaks the halftime stuff has been kind of cool but um there there just hasn't been much going on during those water breaks and and it's just it's just kind of like 
I wouldn't say the fans just fall asleep. Like that's not really my feeling off the vibe of the crowd, but now I'm starting to get into really abstract stuff where it's just like impressions, you know? So um, it's kind of hard to say what it's doing for the, for the product. And, and I just hope that, I hope that somebody at the league office and with these teams is tracking what are these water breaks really doing for us, whether it's they're, they're looking at the profitability of it for advertisements on TV or they're looking at how it's affecting the game. I just hope that somebody's, you know, keeping track of all this in some way. Um, oh, yeah. I'm sure they are. I mean, especially there, especially if not the league within these clubs themselves, because, I mean, it's their financial um, – it's mostly their financial money that's on the line. So, I mean, right. you got to at some point, and, and I, and you know, this kind of segue off, but it touches on the same subject was a little uh, pitter patter on Twitter about the, uh, what's it, the Austin game that just happened recently. You know, uh, it was oh, yeah? disturbing watching that and going, man, there's like no one in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> what is this facility? It's only one size stands, but you know, this, this goes back to the whole thing. And, it, and it, I think this could apply to a lot of teams. It's the first year, you know. Everyone's yeah. feeling themselves out. They're feeling the markets out. What's working? What is not working? And especially down in Texas, you got Houston and, and Austin, and Dallas yeah. for the most part, all working towards uh, developing their own stadium, their own facility, which is great. I mean, that's what you want. You want these clubs eventually owning, or at least having ownership that owns their own facility. And this could just be the stepping stone. Okay, what what promotions are working? What yeah. Uh, Antics are getting fans involved. Yeah. Okay, what can we improve on? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to touch too much into that, like you were saying, but uh, hopefully it changes. And, you know, again, as a as a parent of kids, I mean, that's also, you know, going to the basketball, you know, here in Corvallis, we've gone to a couple of Oregon State football games and basketball games, and I can tell you, you know, at those breaks, you know, they have other people run out to the field and try to shoot three-pointers. <laughs> it's kind of fun and entertaining, especially for the kids. Yeah. It kind of distracts them for a bit. It gets sure. their mind off things for a little while, and then, okay, back in the seats let's buckle up let's go back to the game yeah because it's different when you're trying to focus on it as a kid and there's going to be families out there at these games and you want to be able to cater to that wide audience because that's just sports it's going to bring a lot of different kind of people together um yeah yeah i mean i've had a lot of fun at starfire uh that the first uh san diego legion game it's just perfect weather day at starfire i was on the um uncovered side which is the family section you know, there were some some player families there. Um, it was it was pretty full. It was actually more full over there than this last weekend when it was kind of rainy and that section wasn't covered. Um, I kind of wondered, like, okay, well, we said we're sold out today. Why am I seeing these, you know, huge chunks of empty seats over there across the field? But really, the only empty seats were uncovered areas um the supporters section on the covered side which is actually uncovered and then the entire side of the pitch that's uncovered across from all of that so um yeah man i mean i think starfire is one of the most special places right now in major league rugby i'd say in terms of like where i'm interested to see clubs developing and the businesses um i think it was really cool to see the Houston Sabercats really focus in on their sort of like preseason branding. Um, I know they changed their name. They weren't always the Sabercats. They did a lot of promoting themselves. Um, They did a lot of preseason games. I don't know how that's converting for them into a rugby product, like where they feel like they're making progress because they have, they certainly haven't come out 
like guns a blazing like people expected with them sitting at like oh, yeah. number two in the power rankings. I mean, the power rankings have really gotten shooken up. Um, I mean, basically the only thing that hasn't changed is Glendale is at the top, um, which is not surprising to anybody. You know, that was just kind of a given. Um, yeah. I mean, Seattle for some people was sitting at the bottom, and and obviously they're they're a top caliber team in MLR. They can they can really put on a challenge to Glendale, but. You look at the the game today between um, Glendale and Utah, and basically the score ended up looking like our game against San Diego Legion, where it was like high 30s to low 20s. And really, what I think happened is that um, you know we brought really good defense to Glendale last weekend, and that resulted in a low scoring game because their defense wasn't like absolutely amazing compared to ours and our offense just wasn't quite there to really break through their defense so it was low scoring and then when glendale played the warriors the warriors brought better offense to the table with that and it ended up being a more high scoring game where they didn't have the same defense to stop glendale from scoring um i like posted something on social media about that and our loose head prop from seawolves liked it so i don't know if that means it's correct but that means that they're thinking about that stuff right so um yeah yeah, I don't know, yeah. man. I, I really badly wanted us to beat Glendale, not just because I'm a Seawolves fan, but because I like the surprises. I think that that first weekend against San Diego was a big surprise for everybody, and it just makes the league that much more interesting. And I think that I think that a lot of people were rooting for Seattle just because it's kind of a given that Glendale's going to win it. I mean, I, I don't want to say that's certainly what's going to happen. I've written an article why Seawolves will win it, and I think that they will because there's just a lot of things they have going on, but it's sort of like when you do the math and you look at the history and all that, like it, the, the most unsurprising, boring, safe, predictable result is Glendale's going to win it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like the, the seven stuff. You know, you get these small teams who go against, um, you know, you get, gosh, try to dig right out of a, of a random, let's just, let's just pull a rabbit out of the hat. Let's say um, you get Peru playing against, New Zealand. Sure. I mean, people are going to cheer louder when Peru gets that gets that one, even though it's a hundred to seven. Yeah. They're going to get that that try because you want the underdog. You you, you want to go for the underdog. I mean, you know, the okay, this team's going to come in. They're going to win. Okay, what do you do? It's a, it's a given. You know what? Let's give them something to cheer about. Let's give these guys, you know, because in, in in all aspects, they're just happy to be there. They're they're proud to be there. They represent their country and their their union and their um, everything they work for. So yeah, I agree. I think. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, hey, Seattle was in my backyard for the most part, and so that's what I'm going to root for. Uh, part of it was, you know, sorry, Glenda, I know, I know you're good. We all know you're good, but I kind of hope you lose. I mean, give someone else a chance, you know? Let's, yeah. let's see what happens. I was kind of hoping they would beat Glendale, too. That way, to kind of prove to everyone else, hey, San Diego was not a fluke. It wasn't just, you know, oh, well, it's week one. Well, hey, you know, hey, these guys are serious. They beat San Diego, who's heavy, who's got heavy eagles. They beat Glendale, who's been a professional organization for, gosh, you know, five, ten years, whatever. And, I mean, it, it was still close. But that's the thing, though. It was still a close game. They got that bonus point, which – as the season plays on, that may be a deciding factor whether they get into the playoffs or not, or or who knows, finish number one and win the regular season. Yeah, for themselves, um, you know, it's it, it, there's still a lot to grow. There's still a lot to do. A lot, lot to prove for everyone. Sure. New Orleans, uh, Houston, like you said, I think Houston for the most part. When this well, when this league first started, I think for the most part everyone thought, okay, Austin, man, these guys are coming up guns are blazing, and then very quickly. Houston came out of nowhere. We branded, got 
that what five six thousand out for that for that first game preseason game and yeah. kind of blew everyone away like wow these guys are serious man they're they're playing along they're playing against tough teams they're bringing guys in from all over the country clubs in from all over the country playing played against Uruguay and so on and so forth and now they've kind of struggled out and you got to think okay well was that long preseason uh, is that a factor going yeah. forward is was that, that is effective that going on here or, right or has everyone just been you know as the, or is it the whole, you know, everyone's just been a lot quieter, but they've been getting their ducks in a row. It's just Houston right. was the louder one blowing the trumpet. Yeah. It's hard to say. You know? For me as a Seattle fan, going back to Glendale, the, the redeeming quality for them with me isn't just like their power. So McGee, their number 10, I think he's the best 10 right now in MLR. And in my time playing since college, which I started around 2012, um, you know, he's been... Um, a presence with the Eagles at number 10. And, you know, he's somebody that I kind of look up to for my position on the field. So, you know, I respect, I respect Glendale. Also a friend of mine from, uh, that I play with in my D4 club, his son um, was trying to get a job with and or play for the Seawolves, just was knocking on the door and no one was home and ended up with the Raptors as like their strength and conditioning, I don't want to say coach, but like a trainer. And then as, as a young guy, like, you know, around my age, like was able to play on the team. And now he's, he's, you know, suited and booted for every game. And (laughs) it's crazy. I mean, it's just like, um, it's a small world. The rugby community is a really cool community and you find some connections you don't even realize. But um, I definitely, there's definitely a place for Glendale in my heart. Let's just say that, even though they're Glendale and you know they have the potential to just steal the soul of any team on the field, basically. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think that goes for a lot of people in the rugby community in general. I mean, you, you got that local team that's always the best. You know, for me, coming from Northern California, the club that everyone looked up to and strived for, unless you're playing them that weekend, was San Francisco Golden Gate. Right. You look at their <laughs> Killed club, us club the other year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it tends to happen to a couple clubs. But, I mean, yeah. if, if you're not playing them, you're going, oh, Golden Gate won. Yeah, you know, way to carry the banner for the area, way to carry the banner for the region. And then you play against them, you're okay, now I want to smash these guys. Yeah. <laughs> this weekend comes to playing against someone else. Hey, yeah, good job. Good luck, guys. So I think that's how it is for a lot of people. The Glendale, though, for the most part, is even though they are the top dog and, and you know, you, you want them, you want clubs to beat them, you can't hate them. I mean, they've just done everything right. For the broader picture, they're carrying the banner for USA rugby, rugby clubs. And right. if that time comes where they, where these, where these current clubs in the league get an opportunity to play against overseas professionals, you know, you, you want them to win. You want them to smash them to show everyone like, Hey, here in the U.S., we ain't fooling around. You know, we're serious. We're sure. serious about this sport. We're serious. We're getting things together. And look what happened. You know, Glendale just went over there and and beat. I don't know Bath. You know, that's probably never, probably won't happen for a long, long time. Yeah. But to have that, so I mean, do you I, see I mean, a future for Golden Gate in Major League Rugby? What was that? Do you see a future for SF Golden Gate in Major League Rugby? Um, you know, uh, a part of me. Uh, part of me says yes. I think I think they have a huge opportunity. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of factors to play though in, in play. Yeah. They, 
they have a great facility for anyone who's been out there. It's just an amazing place. I mean, they're right in the middle of the bay. They have amazing views. They have a, a great clubhouse that they're constantly working on. I mean, it's every other year they're always doing renovations. They're always fixing it up, making it look so much better. Yeah. The playing field's top notch. They have uh, bleachers there. I mean, I don't know the official capacity. I'm sure someone else probably does, but I would have to guess because I've been out there a few times. Um, I would guess five, six hundred maybe seating capacity. Um, they have an opportunity. There's, there's, there's definitely room, and it, it is a tight space though. There's definitely room to to build it up to at least a two thousand or so seat uh, facility. Yeah. But the, what what could be the deciding factor for the most part is, and, and I, I reached out to them. I haven't heard anything. Is um, there's development going on on Treasure Island, and that's where that's where they're located. They're located there in the middle of the bay on Treasure Island. Okay. And there is right now development going on. Uh, the city of San Francisco is slowly because it's an old naval base. So I mean, obviously, okay. the U.S. government, like everyone knows, moves very slow on things. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're slowly converting that whole island and, and making it into its own little miniature city. And so what I'm concerned about is okay. Where does sound? Where does Golden Gate fall in this? Yeah, is it? Do they? And I don't know this. Do they own that land completely outright, right. or is that? Or is that land San Francisco's, the city of San Francisco's, and they can do with it with it whatever they want? Right, they manage and they it. Do, or something. Yeah. Man, that puts some serious question. Where does this club go? Totally. Um, so, pardon me. Yeah, I, I, I wish. I would love to see will. it happen. I hope they do. Yeah. But um, there's also, for the most part, there, there's there's other places that a professional team should and could call the San Francisco Bay Area uh, home. Well, I think, uh, you know, in terms of West Coast MLR teams, uh, we're most likely to see a, a team from Canada, from BC come in, um, yeah. Vancouver. And BC Premier League in North America has been typically the strongest, like, North American domestic league of rugby, which would be interesting, but it's also... It's been the most consistent. It's been the most consistent. Yeah. I mean, you have the U.S. where, yeah, we have strong clubs, but, I mean, you've had... Several iterations of Super League. You yeah. have was the Cal Cup. Right. Um, what I'm worried about Cup. though is that half of our Seawolves team would go back to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That I had that written down as one of the things if we had a chance to bring up. Yeah. I want to bring up with you was, you know what? I, I'm glad for his ownership that's here, and they seem very dedicated to to, to Seattle right now. Yeah. But they're. Aren't aren't they aren't are they not from Canada? Isn't that where their main business is? And yeah, half the team is for the most part Canadian, which is so great. It's just like you look at our head coach was Tony Healy. He had visa issues. He's you know big in the yeah. scene of Canadian rugby. Had to you know was just not able to stay. Very frustrating um, situation. And Mac took over nicely, but you know Mac's another Canadian taking over and. You know, these these players have connections, relationships, allegiances, sentiments to their people back in, say, Vancouver, their clubs, their families, oh, yeah. their friends. Yeah. There's totally, you know, a draw to that area. And, you know, if, if tops are making anywhere from 5,000 at the bottom to 30,000 tops in a 10-week season, it's like, what really is going to have, you know, incentive? What's going to give them incentive to stay in Seattle and be part of this great team? Yeah, and, and let's be honest, Seattle, it's got high taxes. And yeah. so your dollars are going to go a lot further when you are working and live, working and living in your own hometown. Right. Compared to, well, I'm working, but I live here, but I'm working over here, and uh, man, I'm going to make some money stretch on top of 
providing financial support for your loved ones back home. So, yeah, that, that does play a big question for me. And that's something I'm really looking forward to seeing how this plays out come the off season, or at least as we come closer to the end of the season. Because by then, by then, I'm sure MLR will have a more clear cut message of, hey, these are the exact what we know New York's in for sure. Um, but, you know, to- Ontario, Toronto. Excuse me, uh, Vancouver, and I believe uh, the last couple weeks I've been hearing Dallas and Chicago. Dallas and Chicago are in for sure. So yeah. uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see how the Vancouver, Vancouver, Seattle situation plays part. I mean, hopefully the owners. And and I'm coming from an area where you know, as a kid, one of my favorite teams, sports, you know, outside of rugby was was soccer. Yeah. And so I lived I lived during that uh, early. Iteration, not talking. I'm not, and I'm not talking way back in NASL. I'm talking about MLS. Yeah. Iteration of, of sounds like earthquakes, where you had an ownership group out of Los Angeles, who, and it was very clear and abundant to to the fan base in Northern California that this ownership group from Southern California really did not care. It was kind of just, well, <laughs> it's just it's just another card in the deck, but we don't care about this club, and yeah. that eventually led to demise, and that's a whole other story and a whole part for a whole other podcast to get into. <laughs> gotcha. But, I mean, that, that kind of, that, that story and that experience plays, it's in the back of my mind, slowly, and kind of, you know, there's only a group says they're dedicated to Seattle, but, you know, they're, their their hometown, their home buddies are, are Canada. They're Canadian, right? And are they going to be equal equally to Seattle and to Vancouver, or is it like, hey, no, we we love Seattle, we're here, but heck, it's pretty evident. All the best players are going up north. They're going across the border, right? So it'll be interesting to see, or or maybe they will uh, start dumping part ownership on local uh, local businesses, which which is what we want, right? You I mean for every club, you want a local business person to own that particular club that particular team because then they're they're investing in in their own community they right. know what they works what doesn't work yep yeah and yeah. i mean i'm definitely i'm just as eager to see these next seawolves games as i am to see what is year two of major league rugby look like because it's going to have you know a huge impact on the future of each team in a different way and i think one yeah, of the big expenses and players going up you know, uh, bidding and trying to yeah. new players to their club. I mean, yeah, it's a domino effect. Well, it's and I'm not sure. Work. I'm not even sure if we're clear yet on like, is there going to be a draft or are there going to be academies? What's really going to happen to bring that talent up into the league? And you know, I, I think it's a big question mark with uh, a Vancouver team coming in. What happens to the SeaWolves? Because I know that Shane Skinner and Adrian Balfour, they're the co-founders, the owners of SeaWolves, are. Seattle business people, as far as I have researched, um, you know, I've been focusing more on my podcast than some of the back of house stuff uh, with Seawolves. But, you know, I think they do have an investment in Seattle, but that doesn't mean that all their players have to, right? Especially if, you know, their players can't make more staying than to say, go home and just have a better lifestyle or something. So, yeah. I mean, you can look at the um, lacrosse leagues. The indoor and outdoor lacrosse leagues. Yeah. A lot, and they're kind of the same situation, even though they've been around for, what, decades now. But the player-wise and pay, sure. it's, it's not uncommon for a guy who played for, uh, say, Vancouver, you know, the stealth up there one year, and then and he's a star player. But you know what? He leaves to go back to Denver because that's where his home is. Yeah. And, and you know what? I try to make it work, but I got to be close to my kids, my wife, my mother, my father, and so on and so forth. And that's what's going to be interesting to see, especially in this particular situation, because the cities are so close. Right. But the currency of the money is so different. It's going to be uh, interesting how that plays out 
with the clubs and again with the ownership owning both both teams and and whatnot. Um, Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's for the most part. Let's just say it, it's gonna be it is it's gonna be very interesting to see how this off season plays out. You know, as we get closer, what's said, what's announced, and what do teams do? Uh, are these MLR clubs gonna go overseas and play exhibition matches? Are they gonna bring in um, clubs from? from throughout the country or from Canada or from South America, because you got that South American uh, league starting up pretty soon. Sure. Or are the, you know, are there, are there restrictions of what they can and cannot do? Um, so yeah. it's, it, and that's going to play a factor into next season's preparation and the quality of play too. I mean, it's yeah. going to be fairly interesting and it's exciting. I mean, this is an Definitely. exciting time Yeah, for the, for the most part, you know, I mean, you got top level rugby, rugby playing, almost all levels now you got college all co- college you know you don't no longer have that varsity cup and d1 and all stuff you got right you got cal you got cal byu st mary's and life and lindenwood all in one area now right um really you got cool. the prp that can easily be a feeder system or or a top league for the the west coast clubs of the mlr and then you got yep. the um red river or the american Rugby Premiership, yeah. that's out of the Northeast, that can definitely benefit the New York club and Toronto and uh, whoever else comes, Boston comes aboard. So, I mean, it's the pieces are there. It's just, it will yeah. be interesting to see in the next couple of years how they fit together. Yeah. Um, I think the calendar, know. the calendar between MLR and USA Rugby, their international tests, is, is also an area where you know, you want to see that sort of transition happen as smoothly as possible. So, yeah. Well, Nick, hey, thank I, you so much. Yeah, you have one more thing? Oh, no, I was, I was going to touch on that. <laughs> well, before, before we start to wrap this up, there's a couple sure. first I want to touch on that. Like you said, uh, I, I hope the MLR does not, um, and I'm sure it's not their intention, to go in direct competition with the uh, America's Rugby Championship because, I mean, that would – play a big factor into the starting lineups for those first couple of weeks because you got you're gonna have a lot of guys missing. Totally. And um yeah. missing for, for test matches and the same thing. Uh, I mean there's and it's a lot of it depending on world rugby and their calendar they're developing. So yeah. I hope the these calendars eventually play themselves out yeah. for the benefit and you don't have club club going against test matches, you know. You don't have um the test match in, in coming up in Houston, say down the road. Uh, fighting against the Sabercats or the Austin Elite, you know, a couple hours away or however far away they are. I'm sorry. I'm not really good geography sure. in that particular area. You know, competing with each other. Hopefully they can coincide, you know, maybe one day one club's playing, the next day the national team's playing, and they make it to a rugby event, rugby weekend in Texas. Yeah. The Texas showdown, stuff like that. For sure. And then also, I, I want to I wanna bring this up from your previous pods. Yeah. I, I myself, actually... Um, like like the communication between player and, and official. I like it when they call him sir. Oh I know, yeah, I know. I know you had a problem with that. Tell me but, more about that. Well, you know, and this and this goes back to the other sports I played. And in, when I played football and when I played soccer as a young kid, and you watched these sports, you know, obviously growing up, you you want to be the next Joe Montana. You want to be the next David Beckham, but you're watching these sports and, you know, a player gets hurt and all of a sudden everyone just runs and surrounds the ref. Yeah. I mean, they're there, they're cheering. As, you, I mean, and then you come play rugby and you explain, I experienced this my first time, like, hold on, I'm sorry, what? Only one guy talks to the official? Yeah. 
Wait, you call him what? You call him sir? Wait, you don't run up to him and call him by his first name and start yeah. cussing him out and yelling at him? Uh, okay, that's weird. But as, as time <laughs> went on, I kind of was like, you know, that's, I actually enjoy that because that's respect. Yeah. You're showing respect. And especially as a young kid, right. I think that's a big quality. And that's why I think a lot of these rugby players, even the guys who've only played a few years in high school and college but then never touched the ball again, yeah. I think that's why there's such a huge success story with all these businessmen who have rugby playing backgrounds because they've learned that respect aspect right. from playing. And, totally. And they've learned to how to delegate problems. You know, I'm not the captain, but, you know, this guy, you know, he's 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 putting studs up, man. Yeah. You know, me go tell my captain, and, and you learn to trust him. You know, as a captain, yeah. you, you gain that trust and go into the official and say, excuse me, sir. And as a as an official, I'm sure that's, I'm sure they enjoy that. I mean, yeah. uh, I wouldn't doubt there's a few rugby officials out there who, you know, at the youth level, also coach soccer on the weekends or basketball on the weekends. To, right. To, Make and they don't get called <laughs> sir when they're in those sports, yeah. right? Yeah, oh, man, this, it's so nice to have, you know, a 250-pound kid come right up to me instead of wanting to yell at me, he goes, uh, excuse me, sir, we have a problem, or I need to bring this up to you, versus, you know, now you got the whole the whole basketball squad surrounding me and bumping me, and I mean, right. you see these stories on YouTube and on the news how, how uh, high school Raps football officials treated, or yeah. officials are getting, you know, threats by, yeah. the, by the players, by the coaches, they're being run out of games, it's like, that's, that's an embarrassment to that sport. That's it is. sad. Yeah. But you don't ever see that in rugby. And then when you do see that in rugby, you see the whole community themselves rally behind that official. Or at least, um, even if the official's wrong, at least are very quick. I mean, you look at that Spain situation. Gosh. And that's something, another issue to get into. But, I mean, you regardless if the official's right or not, uh, I think for the most part, the common thread was you should have showed that official more respect. You yeah. don't surround him. You don't put your hands on him, regardless if it was a little bump. Right. You show him respect. You should have played that better than what you did. Granted, yeah, there was some questionable calls. Sure. You know, questionable. Um, but I mean, that's that's that. And then the last thing. Um, and again, I didn't. I didn't want to harbor you too much. I just no, want to give you my, my personal opinion. I want to hear this. Yeah. I actually enjoy that whole sir thing. And yeah. um, the last thing I want to do is, if you don't mind, I just want to give a quick shout out to a couple people. Do it. Um. You know, a couple, couple clubs, couple people, and one of the things I wanted to give a shout out to is to the uh, Los Gatos Youth Rugby Club. Their JV squad won the boys open cup, open division today for NorCal, twenty-seven to twenty-two, and I think that's pretty great. Oh, that's um, awesome! Wow, yeah, congrats to them. To definitely look into a United Youth Rugby, Los Gatos Youth Rugby, uh, Santa Cruz, and I, I believe there's one in Watsonville. They're all under the same umbrella. Sure. Uh, there's a lot going on down there. It's a great program that's developing, especially people in the South Bay area who are listening. Yeah, um, definitely get in touch with them. And also, I, I want to give a shout out to my high school coach, Mike Anna. Uh, he's been a great guy, uh, pretty much almost like a father figure to me. Uh, he, he's just a well-rounded person to speak with, and very knowledgeable. Has a deep um, knowledge of the game, history, and he's very passionate. Uh, yeah. especially passionate super rugby fan. Um, and then the last couple of things is just Chris Fisher, who runs the Los Gatos guy. He's one of the first guys uh, that actually gave me a real shot of coaching high school. And okay. a guy who really believes in me, and I believe in his vision and what he's trying to create down there. And he's, again, I, I highly recommend people get in touch with these guys. Mike Anna, um, he works for Valley Christian. Valley Christian Schools out of San Jose, and Chris Fisher, who is the person who heads up United Youth Rugby, but also coaches with Los Gatos Youth Rugby. And last but not least, my 
my college club, my college team, my university, San Jose State University. You know, I know it's been a couple tough years, guys. I'm sure someone's listening from this club, but <laughs> keep your head up. And not so long ago, they were in the national champion, national uh, playoffs for sevens. And oh, wow. uh, it's been a couple, couple tough years, but you know what? The Spartans will rally, and uh, you know, there's a reason why they were they were tough people to put down back then in the day, and there's a reason why San State has just been a, a thorn in a lot of people's sides. They don't quit, don't give up. Well, that made Seawolf Pod that much more special to connect with all those people. Thanks for the the shout outs there. Yeah, um, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I, I, to be honest, I know we've probably gone over a little longer than usual for no, your other fine, pods, man. but I love it. I, I, yeah, I absolutely enjoy this. I mean, there's still a lot we can talk on. There's and a not, ton. Not Seawolf's rugby community issues in general. Yeah, yeah, for you know, sure. I know well, we talked off off to, um, off mic, if you would. Uh, hopefully down the road that we'd be able to do an actual sit down versus a phone call. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I have a mic that would be good for that. So yeah, and I would love to steal a a, a little segment from from the boys at uh, Red, White, and Black Guy, Preston, and uh, oh my gosh, he's gonna kill me, but I forgot his name. Warren. <laughs> Warren, sorry, Warren. Um, I would love to do a little beer advance with you, which for the most part, if it, if it makes any difference, I, I'm doing a little beer right now. Olympia, <laughs> Olympia beer has always been my choice, but. Hopefully we can do a little beer match or two down the road, maybe in the off season, and kind of discuss some issues. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Warren and Preston are the guys that I first started listening to in terms of uh, rugby podcasts. I, I caught on to the Egg Chasers just like anybody, but they don't really serve up content for anything local or national for me. And then uh, the guys at Earful of Dirt, um, you know, just there's been a ever ever increasing uh growth in the rugby community around content and i think it's uh it's really awesome to see so yeah nick yeah. thanks so much um everybody nick does ll rugby which can be found what's the url for that blog nick um the blog is llrugby.blogspot.com i'm also on instagram at ll rugby on Twitter, uh, LL Rugby, and on Facebook, I think if you do the same thing, it's either LL Rugby or Life Lug Rugby. Um, If you guys want to communicate, I do most of my communication through Twitter. It's just quick and simple. I, I, when I do post content on the blog, I, I tend to try to blast it through all social media feeds. Uh, but yeah, if anyone's listening, just feel free to connect. I mean, I, I'm always open to talk about things and to hear stories or to hear, to learn new stuff about, um, not just rugby locally but rugby internationally and domestically i think things are just exciting times in general for the sport in the u.s i know it's struggling in other parts of the world right now but australia but <laughs> uh, you know i think right now in the u.s it's just in a, and it's north america in general and then america's i should say north and south i think it's just an exciting amazing time and i can't wait to fast forward 10 years from now and be like yep i remember when that first started oh, totally. wow, look how it's blossom now yeah, I remember doing podcasts in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, we won't be able to do this. I mean, it's it's it, it's uh, it comes with with the territory. You know, I have yeah. a four month old and a four year old who just turned two who just turned four today, and a seven year old. You know, congratulations well, there on the fourth get, birthday. That's pretty cool. The house, they should be hopefully fast asleep. Yep. All right. Well, Nick, thanks so much again for coming on. Uh, yeah, check him out at Life Love Rugby, and uh, can't wait to have you back on the podcast again sometime soon, Nick. I will. Uh, I'll be in touch with you. I'll get that Q and A up on Medium, and uh, we'll keep loving rugby, man.
Yeah, thanks. Hey, I appreciate everything and keep doing what you're doing too. This is I love listening to the podcast. You know, I know you only have a few episodes out, but the more content, the better. You're full of dirt, red, white, black guy, and you. I mean, top three podcasts I look forward to every week. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much, Nick. I'll uh, I'll be in touch, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Have a good night. Take care. Bye. Thanks again for listening, WolfPod. That was my chat with Nick Sarabia at llrugby.blogspot.com, also known as Life Love Rugby. So uh, you know the deal. It's time to move into the end of the show, wrap things up here. Um, I'm going to start doing some shout-outs. It's not too long. There's podcast-related ones, and there's personals. So podcast-related, wanted to give a shout-out to Tony Ridnell, a.k.a. TR, in Seattle at blog.ridnell.com, who took a chance on Seawolf Pod by hopping on the phone with me for episode one, part one, after we connected by Twitter DMs, in which I asked what his playing experience was, and he just sent me a pic of him in an Eagles jersey across from a New Zealand all-black haka. Um... The other shout-out I wanted to give is just to Nick, who was just on the podcast, um, who started Life Love Rugby, or simply LL Rugby blog. Uh, Like TR, he's an important voice in local, regional, and national rugby, especially on the West Coast, whereas he's more NorCal and TR is more PNW. Um, Personals, uh, my own friends... Tolawe Vesicula, who asked me to play rugby at Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon, Enrique Lopez, who coached my college club and introduced me to my current club team, Oregon Sports Union, or simply its acronym, ORSU, also known as the ORSU Jesters, Um, and then Warren and Preston at America Rugby Pod for being the first rugby podcast I started following. Really, for me, they were the pioneers in American rugby audio content and keeping me passionate about rugby. Also, everyone at Earful of Dirt um, for paving the way for MLR audio content, which helped me realize the problem I wanted to solve or try to solve, which is a lack of Seawolves rugby content. Um, Yeah, so those are my shout outs. Uh, The next Seawolves game is this coming Saturday, I believe May 12th. It's at NOLA Gold. That's in New Orleans. Uh, It's on Saturday. I'm looking forward to another Seawolves win, which I will be previewing on the SeawolfPod.com blog before Saturday. So expect something up uh, Friday afternoon. And then the next podcast, I'll be reviewing the next episode, which would be episode three. Today was two, if you're counting, um, which I am, obviously. So episode three, I'll be reviewing the NOLA game and previewing our next home match May 20th against the Utah Warriors. I will also, just so you know, I will happily talk about anything my listeners want me to talk about uh, within the realm of Seawolves Rugby, or if you put up a uh, review on Apple Podcasts, it's five stars, then I'll talk about anything. Just please reach out. Uh, The easiest way is to email SeawolfPod, which is email admin at seawolfpod.com that's just a-d-m-i-n admin at seawolfpod.com or dm me on instagram at seawolfpod that's it wolfpod you know the deal hunt together pod alone and go seawolves